and welcome to another episode of Saying the Tone, a Neon Retrospective, the show where we do a chronological breakdown of every episode of our favorite TV medical drama. My name is Elizabeth, and joining me today, as always, are Lauren. Hello. And Daniel. Hey. Today we'll be discussing Season 4, Episode 19, which is titled Shades of Grey. The episode aired on April 23rd, 1998, Ornwell was going on that week 23 years ago. Peyton Manning, widely considered to be one of the best NFL quarterbacks of all time, is drafted first overall by the Indianapolis Colts. Sports people, do we care? Uh, I only care, well, A, because he, A, because he's kind of a piece of shit human being, but, well, and also because he beat the Bears in their Super Bowl, in the, in the Super Bowl in 2007. And that this was the year that he goes number one, and Ryan Leaf, who is widely considered to be one of the worst quarterbacks of all time, goes number two. Ooh, Not only... Not only uh, was he considered one of the worst quarterbacks of all time, but he's a spectacular flameout. Um, like he ended up like having really severe drug problems, and like he was out of the league like a few years later. But now, you know, what twenty three years later, like it's almost kind of. I mean, yes, Peyton Manning has a lot of issues, uh, but the public hasn't done the complete 180 on him like you would expect given some of those revelations. But I would say, like personal wise they have done a little bit of a 180. Like Peyton Manning definitely has done some things that nobody should be proud of and deserves a lot of scorn for it. And Ryan Leaf has kind of put his life back together and is kind yeah. of a respectable dude at this point. So it's yeah. it's interesting how the, the script kind of flips in just 23 years. Yeah, I know. He rec- Ryan Leaf recently used the Chargers, right? He yeah, he, he gets drafted. And that was the other thing too, is that it was a legitimate like debate at the time of who was yeah. better. Peyton Manning or Ryan Leaf and it was not seen as this like oh the Chargers lost out by not getting Peyton Manning it was like no they still got Ryan Leaf they're gonna be fine they were not fine yeah no I think Ryan Leaf was did a Reddit AMA because he was like for his like a book or something or just because he yeah. could but on our NFL but like dude seems like he's got his head on straight mm-hmm. and he's very open about his issues yes back then and in the years since because it's not like it was a linear path of recovery for him either he relapsed a bunch so he's He's a very interesting guy, to say the least. Chargers can't catch a break. Anyway, what happens next? Uh, Disney opens a new theme park, Animal Kingdom, in Orlando, Florida. I also want to note, if any of you love random YouTube channels, go check out Theme Park Expedition or Defunct Land. Both of them are really good Disney channels. They got me through when I was having my back surgery, and I couldn't actually go out into the world. I watched a lot of those. Very good channels, very fun Disney and Universal Studios history in those channels. The Angel Lovin' continues to win over the crowds as City of Angels remains the number one movie. And All My Life by KC and JoJo concludes its third and final week atop the music charts. And we never bothered to look it up. (laughs) Still haven't heard the whole thing. As for what else was on that evening at 8 p.m., Friends with the episode The One with All the Invitations. Clearly, there's we're heading up to a wedding episode of Friends. Please, I'm begging you, one of the Friends experts in the group, uh, please explain to me which wedding this is. Cause I Friends? Aren't they don't. called Friends Heads or something like that? Or... Sure. I don't know. Somebody on the show is getting married. I suppose this could be 
early enough? No, because that would have been 94. So we're like halfway through the show's run at this point. So maybe it could be Monica and Chandler at this point. I honestly have no idea. Are we already halfway through Friends by this point? Yeah, Friends starts literally, as if you'll recall, Friends started the week either before or after ER. They started within That's seven right. days of each other. And it will end in 2004. So we're not quite halfway, but we're pretty darn close. Like we're, That's right. We're getting to the halfway point. Uh, at 8.30, just shoot me with the episode The Emperor. And then at 9 p.m., you get a double dose of Seinfeld, only one of which is new, though. Uh, Seinfeld with the episode The Frogger at 9 p.m. and then a rerun at 9.30. Uh, this week's episode had 32.4 million viewers tuning in. This week's episode is directed by Lance Gentile, doing his second of two episodes as a director. He wrote a bunch of episodes, but this is only, uh, he only did two episodes as a director. Uh, the previous one that he directed was A Shift in the Night, all the way back in season two. And this week's episode is written by Samantha Howard Corbin, doing her sixth out of seven. Previous ones of hers from this season we've done include Sharp Relief and Ground Zero. All right, and getting into the episode proper, our previously on was brought to us by Doug. And uh, so, remember how Carter's poor now? <laughs> uh, well, gonna learn, because he's trying to get a loan, so let's see how that goes for him. Cubs fan, huh? Please don't touch that. Right. Before I make any decisions regarding your loan application, Dr. Carter, I have to clarify a few points. Yeah. You only included one tax return, 1996, listing your income as a surgical resident with an annual salary of $28,000. Yeah, before taxes. And you'll need your other returns from previous years. There aren't any before that. I was a med student. No summer jobs? Well, I uh, accrued in the Whitbread in 1990. Where was that? Cape Town, Fremantle. Capsized between Sydney and Auckland. <laughs> See yacht race. And you earned? Ah, a few thousand. But after living expenses, I, uh, I spent more than I made. You're a resident in emergency medicine now. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah, when I shifted from surgery, I agreed to do so without pay. But I'm going to ask for a paycheck next year for sure. I would hope so. What about this trust fund? The holdings are in my grandfather's name, and I am no longer drawing funds from it. Would your grandfather be willing to co-sign for your loan? You know, I, I want my application to be judged on its own merits. On its own merits? I'm going to have to reject it. Why? I think you should either talk to your grandfather or acquaint yourself with the ingredients of a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. <laughs> Hey, PB&Js are good, man. Don't disparage yeah. on PB&Js. I will not stand for this uh, PB&J uh, slander. It's got to be Skippy Natural Super Chunk Peanut Butter, though. That's that's my absolute favorite. Jif Chunky over here. Creep, creamy gang. <sighs> every day, every mm. day, I like you two less and less. He's at least chunky with you. I'm on the creamy, creamy fan. That's fair. But yeah, Carter's poor. I love how he's like, oh, but next year I'm definitely going to ask for a paycheck. <laughs> Oh, Carter. That's a banana. What? That's a banana. What could it cost, Michael? Twelve dollars. <laughs> uh, and his like ten dollars. His, his one and only summer job being a a yacht race that he earned uh, just a couple thousand for. You know. That he then spent it all. Yeah. Oh my God, this boy. Sweet baby Carter. <laughs> this is this is a new level of sweet baby Carter. We're gonna have a very different sweet baby Carter. Like medically, 
he's got it. He yeah, kind of yeah. he's got his he's got his feet under him. But now we're gonna have to deal with real world Carter. This is oh you sweet summer child Carter. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, this will so this will be a sticking point for a while. Um, but then we go on to Morgenstern approaches Benton, read the M and M report. So they're up at the little like surgical desk admit area, mm-hmm. and. Morgenstern is concerned about the he said she said nature it could blow into and again trying to just cover his ass and as he's kind of talking to Benton about this confirming that they're going to really just stick to the fat stick to the facts air quotes heavily around it Romano comes out with Lizzie to celebrate a successful surgery and asks if the M&M is still happening or if he can take her out for a five egg omelet and they're like yeah it's still happening and it's just a really awkward moment between all four of them just there's a really awkward pause in there and then this is also an unceremonious way we learn that scott has passed because uh they mention a funeral and how um morgan stern is going to forward the notes over to anspa because he can't make it to the funeral so this is how we learn that scott has passed yeah, definitely should have noted that with last week's episode. I did not realize that that was going to be the last appearance of Scott in person. But mm-hmm. uh, this is also for how big of a storyline this has been this season, especially with with one of our main characters, with one of our mm-hmm. bannered, one of our intro main cast title. Yeah, main cast title card characters. Um, it seems a little just really unceremonious. Yeah, it kind of does. Really, yeah. really abrupt. Very abrupt ending to it. I mean, they do a good job wrapping up all the loose ends to it here, but it is sort of a very abrupt thing. It makes me wonder if there was some kind of scheduling thing with the with Trevor Morgan, the child actor. Like, it makes me wonder if he got another job somewhere or you know something happened where he wasn't able to continue because they really yeah. do cut this right off at the knees. I'll put it this way, like, when they mentioned the funeral, at first I thought it was just, like, for Swanee. I didn't even Mm. think about, like, it being for Scott. Because that's how quick that line is delivered before it just goes into the next scene. Yeah. And then Lizzie was like, oh, Scott's dead. It's like, what? Yeah. Um, What? I mean, because they, where we left off with them last time, I mean, he's decided he doesn't want to do any more chemo. Obviously, we know that this was the inevitable conclusion to right. all of this, but I don't think they gave the impression at the end of the last episode that that was definitively it, like that he was definitely going to be dead before the next episode. It right. really does sort of come out of left field. Yep. But then we go over to Jeannie singing in the shower, just beautiful singing voice, Gloria Rubin. Lovely little, lovely little moment with her just reflecting and now that we realize that, oh, it's because Scott's dead, she's she's just having a moment of, of solace in the shower, just taking a moment to collect her thoughts. And then we are in with bangs, which, man, where are our twinkles? All I can say is I know they're coming. But Yep. And we've had them. Yeah. But... Um, but then we go on to Carrie asking Mark if he can cover for her in the ER for an hour or two while she goes up to the M&M because she also has to do some resident review portion while she's up there, so... She has to play an active part in the Eminem, which means she can't be down in the ER helping out. And Carter's having a conversation with with fellow poor person Anna, <laughs> uh, talking financials about like student loans and stuff like that. Or which would Carter even have student loans? Well, I think that Anna was more saying that the guy she's referring him to is great with money because she ah, helped. Okay. 
her he helped her consolidate all of her student loans to make it easier to pay. Mm-hmm. So I think she's more saying this guy can help you get on track if you have no idea what you're doing. Gotcha, gotcha. And Mark says Carter still owes him some money for a bet. And then Carter was like, oh, can I can I get you back later? <laughs> Mark, <laughs> Mark, like, short. Mark, jokingly sa- Mark jokingly says, I know you're good for it. Mr. Moneybags is not quite so flush with cash anymore. He's falling on hard times. Yeah, she's she's te- Anna, bless her heart, is teaching him broke people stuff. Teaching him how to be a poor. Yeah. But then we get a surprise return. Uh, one Sergeant Al Grabarski. Haven't seen him in a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was actually concerned that this might be his last appearance. I was concerned that this might be like a Bob situation where he is popped back up after a long break off and then we won't see him again. But... I believe we do still have two, possibly as many as three appearances left of him. Again, very, very sporadic. We have definitely seen the last of him as a semi-recurring character, but he'll make a couple of these little drop-in appearances. I could have sworn we had more Al, just yeah. in general, just it's, with how with how much he's very in, compact. With how much he's in my brain, I could have sworn he was more of a semi-recurring character than he actually is. It's because and also, we interviewed him. No, I'm talking even before the interview. Thank you very much. <laughs> and even, um, and I've just noticed we also haven't like had as much nurse sass or interaction as we have in the earlier seasons. The nurses have kind of taken a little bit of a back seat. Have you guys noticed that? Mm-hmm. I, I think a lot of that has to do with uh, Hale not being there. Because remember, mm. we talked about that. I think at the it was either at the tail end of season three or the very beginning of season four. Yeah. Um, but she's off doing that other show, and uh, even though she never stops appearing fully on ER. There is a definite period here where she's very, 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 very limited in what she can do on the show. So I think that has a lot to do with why the nurses have been minimized this season. And also Carol doesn't really have any more of those nurse administrator storylines going on right now either. So Mm -hmm. everything seems all she's she's absorbed in her clinic. So the most we really see her interact with is mostly is either Doug or Yosh, really. Yeah. Yosh. Yeah. So, uh. Al here is bringing in a gentleman with a broken wrist who is drunk as a skunk, and we will definitely see a little bit more of him later on. Uh, the drunk, not Al. Al kind of walks out the door and is never seen again. At least not this episode. He's still in our hearts. He is still in our hearts. That's right. Al Grabarski, a.k.a. Mike Genovese. Lovely, lovely man. Enjoyed talking to him for too long. Uh, but in any event, we go from there. We see Jeannie and Anspa uh, in Scott's old room going through his things. Uh, and you can see the struggle that Anspaugh's having where he's not sure how to eulogize him. Like, they really they really never did do a ton of legwork in fleshing out the Anspaugh-Scott father-son relationship, um, so we're left to kind of imply a lot of the history between the two of them, um, but I think the, that Anspaugh does a good job here of kind of portraying that complicated history, that, that complicated relationship that he had with his son, uh, without having to do a ton of that narrative legwork. So I think it still manages to work really well. Uh, Scott has left behind a box of things for Jeannie, including some trophies and his favorite Green Day album. Which album would that be, Lauren? That would be Nimrod, and they did use the correct album. The The artwork was correct and everything. Attention to detail. And uh, Jeannie wearing her, her lovely, I guess, funeral wear would be yeah. the... Morning attire. Morning attire. And then we get quick, like, 15 seconds really randomly oddly paced morgan's turn uh starts to begin starts to begin the m&m 
with just everyone trying to get seated in there. And they're in like a classroom versus the yeah. auditorium yeah. this time. Well, they've used they've used a bunch of different places for the M and M's in the past. Remember the, back in early season one, they used that little tiny room that looked like a interrogation room where everybody had like a single spotlight over their little desks. Like that was oh a, yeah that was a really weird one. And then there was the one Green did after Love's Labor Lost, which looked like it was in like a college auditorium type mm-hmm. thing where everybody was on like big risers. And then yeah, this one was more like a a standard like high school or maybe freshman year of college type. Uh, classroom setting. Well, they are a teaching school, so it's probably one of their classrooms. That's true. And then Carter and Doug are examining Carter's patient's wrist, and I believe his name was Mr. Lambeau. Mm-hmm. And because they're examining his X-rays right now, but then they hear some shouting, and Mr. Lambeau has gone into an into another patient's room, and I messed this up. They were in the room together, like it was one of the um, one of the larger exam mm-hmm. rooms where it has like two beds. So I screwed that up. But he's in the other room, um, scaring the little boy that's in the exam room with him by taking his teeth out and hovering over this little boy, like talking to him while his mom's like yelling for help because the little boy has an asthma attack. He's got chronic asthma and he can't fucking breathe. So Doug has to help the little boy while everybody else rounds Mr. Lambeau up and gets him under control. No, thanks. Which, good on Malik again for being the muscle for the ER. Always there to help out and keep people safe. Mm-hmm. All right, and so we're going to go back to the M&M uh, where we're going to hear from Benton. Dr. Morgenstern's attempt to control the hemorrhage by midline incision was futile. Variceal bleeding obscured the operative field, but we were getting it under control. Okay. It was difficult to find the bleeding site. What did you do next? Called for additional suction. After which you decided to change course and open the chest. Now, who made that incision? I did. Dr. Morgenstern allowed you to crack the chest? Well, well not actually, exactly. Actually, I didn't feel it was... Gentlemen, one at a time. Dr. Benton? I took over the surgery. What do you mean, take over? How could you take over? In the uh, heat of the moment, Dr. Benton became agitated. Dr. Benton. I pushed him aside. Peter, what was your justification for such an action? The man was bleeding out. And? Actually, the midline incision was adequate. It was the varices. No, the man needed to be cracked immediately. And that justifies committing battery on your superior? The man was dying. What would you have done? Just stood there and watched? I would have assisted the attending in saving his life. Okay, after three minutes of arterial bleeding and profound shock, cross-clamping the aorta was the only alternative. No, Peter, I don't think it was the only alternative. No, it was the only alternative. And if, if oh, we had... All right, gentlemen, I think it's best to adjourn and convene the resident review committee at 1230 to discuss the situation. I agree, Dr. Morgenstern. Um, yes. I, I, I think that would be for the best. Oh, hi, Kason. Always manages to worm his way back in. That was a really interesting surprise to see Case in there actually like participating and stuff because we haven't seen him in forever. Haven't had any good cardiology cases. And no Susan to creep on. <laughs> it's true. It's very true. Oh boy. So but yeah. Can we can I just say how much I fucking hate this version of Morgan Stern? This this version of him, yeah, absolutely. Like this is probably Morgan Stern at his worst, I think. Yeah, has been just this whole thing. slime ball cover your ass. Like, come on, dude, you're yeah. better than this. Yeah, yeah. This this particular part here is really hard to watch from kind of the broad strokes interpretation of the character that we have. So, but it does make I think for a more satisfying overall arc. Because spoilers for the end of the episode, like I'm 
I'm a huge fan of this arc. Like it's, and it's an arc that I had largely completely put out of my mind. Like I knew that they did a little something to get Morgan Stern written out of the show properly. Like they didn't just dump him in a bin like they did uh, Hicks, but I couldn't remember the, the, the details of it. And I couldn't remember if it was something that was really like a focus was put on it. And after having watched all three parts of this, like this is kind of, I think one of my like, contenders for storyline of the season like i've been really yeah i have been really impressed and really like satisfied with how they brought a character back who was gone for long stretches of time like i mean i I don't think anybody especially in a 1998 kind of world i don't think anybody would have complained if they just never brought morgan stern back after his heart attack if they had just said oh yeah he had a heart attack and decided not to come back I don't know that anybody would have really complained, but the fact that they took the time to bring him back and give him this like really fleshed out, satisfying story arc to give him a proper goodbye. I think it's, it's really good. I really enjoy every part of it. Also, Kaysen justified to commit battery against an, an attending. Like, come on, dude. If anybody's going to take thing something too seriously in that room, it would be Kaysen. So mm-hmm. very on brand for him. At least Romano was like, what justifies such an action? Like mm-hmm. he doesn't be like, why the fuck did you beat the shit out of your? Which that's not, even, that's not even what it was. He literally just pushed him aside. Yeah, right. Nobody was hurt except Morgan Stern's pride. Right. Jason was clearly offended. Yeah. How dare you? Uh, we go from there. We see Carol coming in. Uh, Doris is bringing in a 28 year old woman who is 18 weeks old. Or sorry, she's 18 weeks along pregnant woman. We find out that a women's clinic was bombed uh, and good on them for not just strictly calling it an abortion clinic and actually going to the trouble of acknowledging that other care is provided in those places. Like that's the kind of like expositional or otherwise throwaway dialogue that it does matter. Like it does it, it, it matters not only from a storytelling standpoint, but it also matters from a like perspective standpoint of the person writing it. Like they put that in there intentionally. I guarantee you. Um so an, another woman is coming in with her um, patient's name is Zoe. We'll be definitely seeing her a little bit later. Um, the news is calling in trying to find out if any quote unquote abortion docs were killed. And I think it's Carrie who corrects him mm-hmm. and says they're called gynecologist Jerry and we don't know anything. So just tell them no comment. So. Yeah. And with regards to like women's health clinic and ge- uh, stuff in in general, you know, Places like that also, for trans people, Planned Parenthood is a really good low-cost option if you want if you need hormones. Mm-hmm. So yeah, they do a hell of a lot more than I think it's like I forget like the exact statistics, but it's like it's a very very small fraction of the mm-hmm. actual of what they do. It's single but digits, I think. Yeah. yeah, we are we are very pro Planned Parenthood on this podcast. Oh, of course, pro choice, pro Planned Parenthood. I wasn't even going to get into that part. But if you were, this would be the episode to do it because they are pushing yeah, all exactly. of the hot. But like, I think I texted you both when I was watching on my end. I was like, they are one capital punishment case away from this being hot button topics. The episode like, yep. they hit them all. Uh, Zoe's partners are watching through the trauma doors and Lauren. Whose films are those? She just got there. <laughs> and she's pregnant. So that would be. They probably wouldn't be doing a ton of films. Yeah. Unless you absolutely have to, but they're taking her to CT and she's stable with no contractions. Yep. Um, and then we find out the 28 year old is unconscious and she's being handled by Anna and Carrie. 
Her name is Brianna Thomas, and she was in Getting an Abortion, and it was only partially completed when the bombing occurred. She starts to crash, and Carrie says they need to complete it in order to stabilize her, at which point Anna just freezes. She cannot assist. She looks absolutely stunned and mortified as Carrie is going ahead, getting ready to abort this 18-week-old baby. Fetus. This 18-week-old fetus. Yeah, that's... That's an yes. important distinction, especially to me, especially to me, and with with my opinions on this whole issue, is that like, if the baby can't survive mm-hmm. out of the womb, that ain't a baby. That's just a fetus. Yeah. And so my and my question is, or my my thought while I was watching this was, so remember, I can't remember if it was last episode or two episodes ago, but we had the the uh, couple that was having mm-hmm. issues, and then he randomly because of her calls her a catholic randomly because of her name decides that she's a catholic and decide did they put that in there just so that they would have so that they would have this storyline <laughs> i did think of that immediately when this part came up because her being catholic has never factored into her character whatsoever like they've never mentioned that she's catholic it's never come up before well and even then she says i wouldn't let it infringe on my patient care right yeah so and then less than two episodes later she's does so it's like right it's very strange i was like man are they just i think they just added that little garnish in there just so that they would have some justification to do this storyline but but i also understand in the heat of the moment this is something where probably in theory she was she's all pro women's rights mm-hmm. pro right to choose pro all of that and this is probably the first time where she as a medical practitioner has actually come up emotionally against this situation where she has to actually make that call and to not have any time to process it. Like, it's not like it was a scheduled one. Mm. It's just, Oh shit, we got to do this. So I can understand for her to all of a sudden have that emotional brain freeze of Mm. just like, Oh, I'm not comfortable with this shit. Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah. There's definitely a difference going from the theoretical to the, the literal, but to like adding an extra layer of, kind of hypocrisy to the whole thing wasn't she the one that like a scene or two ago was give was the one delivering that expositional dialogue about it not just being an abortion clinic and about them providing extra i think care? that was carol i don't know i think it was Delamy. i don't somebody go back and watch and, and tell us for sure but i'm i'm like 90 percent sure that it was Delamy. lizzie you want to you want a tie break do you remember who says the women's clinic provides prenatal care i do not remi- remember it all. i'm pretty sure it was Delamy, but it could have been carol but in any event, like, if so, the the whole thing, just like I said, it's just kind of a very flimsy excuse to add something extra to her character and mm-hmm. give her an excuse to do this. It's, I don't know. But I'm glad she gets a little more to do. I'm glad she yeah. gets a little more character depth this episode, which we'll get into. But then Carrie pulls her aside after the trauma is done and into the lounge. And I think Carrie also calls her Anna mm-hmm. here again. Mm-hmm. Did anybody else catch that? Yeah. Yep. Okay, I wasn't sure if I just misheard it or something was loud over the nope. the Anna. Nope, Anna. So it's two Annas. Um, but Anna wasn't comfortable to complete the abortion for the 18-week-old fetus. And Carrie says, we can't allow our feelings to dictate the standard of care we give people. And But Anna insists she doesn't have a moral objection, to which Carrie responds, clearly you do. Because you didn't, you didn't act in there. I think Anna was saying, like, oh, we could have saved that baby. And I'm like... 18 weeks. 18 weeks? Like, come on. 18 weeks. Because like, what is term? Term is 40. 40. Yeah. So you're yeah. talking about less than half. Yeah. I was iffy at 32. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 
18 weeks kid, is a lot. Kid's going to be in the NICU for months nurse, if they survive. Nurse fam, chime in. Tell us how wrong we are. I just like but I, yeah. I would be shocked. I definitely know it's I definitely know it's not in the the teens. Right. Yeah. No. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh but we go from there. We have our next patient coming in, an older gentleman being brought in by his son, a guy named Burke. And the older gentleman, he's been wetting the bed for two days and hasn't been eating or drinking. Uh, and the son is looking for a quick fix here. He just wants antibiotics and wants to get him out of there. But Carter insists on doing a full workup and discovers what looks to be signs of major neglect, including bed sores and filth, uh, which is a nice way of saying fecal matter. But uh, not great. This one is real upsetting, this whole storyline mm. here. Uh, our father-son t- duo here, the, the son, Burke, is played by actor John Hostetter, who appeared in stuff like uh, the movie Heartbreak Ridge, Beverly Hills Cop 2, and had a recurring role on the TV series Murphy Brown. Uh, and he passed away in 2016. And then Mr. Newton, the father, he's played by actor Mark Lawrence, who appeared in a bunch of different stuff, including the movies Diamonds Are Forever, The Man with the Golden Gun, and From Dust Till Dawn with uh, George Clooney and previous mm. episode director mm. Quentin Tarantino. Uh, mm. He had 223 credits to his name, and he passed away in 2005. So uh, let's go up to the resident review committee with uh, Carrie Morgenstern, Kaysen, and Romano discussing consequences for Benton. No, I don't understand your argument, David. The decision has been made. Dr. Benton allowed his emotions to get a little out of hand. Other than that, he's a good resident. Who committed battery on his attending? It is a shame. Peter's a good surgeon, but you can't let something like this stand. Like you said, Dr. Weaver, the decision has already been made, unless you have a problem with it, David. No. Deborah, would you ask Dr. Benton to come in, please? Benton, we have reviewed Dr. Swanson's chart and the autopsy. Well, I thought the autopsy was inconclusive due to the state of the body. Regardless, this committee feels the matter warrants further investigation. Well, I don't know what to say. I mean, everything I saw and did is right here in this report. Chart aside, you pushed an attending. You're being taken out of the rotation pending a formal inquiry. You're suspending me? Until Dr. Anspaugh returns and a full investigation can take place. Well, uh, just how long before I can return to my job? We don't know yet. And this is effective immediately. Okay, based on Kaysen's previous thing, I half expected him to be like, we found you guilty of battery, the police are outside. <laughs> Do not pass go, go directly to jail. We reported you to the authorities. But come on. Like, you decide that quickly... Like, you can't at least even just put them on, like, scut. You have to, like, suspend them entirely. They basically did the, like, the Facebook thing where they're like, well, you know, the guy who actually makes the decisions isn't here right now, so we're just going to make a decision by not making a decision, and we're just going to, like, kick this can down the road for a few weeks. So, catch... Also, how how is Morgenstern allowed to be in there? That does seem a little Since... bit conflict of interesty, does it not? Yeah, it seems very conflict of interesty. And on a, like, completely minor, like stupid pedantic note that does not matter but i'm trying to remember when ben, or when uh green did his m&m after the love's labor loss thing uh was case in on that yep yep yeah because he's like a department head right so even though it wasn't a cardiology case necessarily it still was something that 
warranted him being in the room. So by that logic, shouldn't uh, Coburn be in on this? Because mm-hmm. she's head you of OB. Think. Like you would think that she would be part of this discussion, but I miss Coburn. Where is she? Just waiting. Off doing other Hollywood things you, and being. You would a great really actress. think that the like the abortion episode, like this one is, you would think right? that Coburn might factor in somewhere. Like she Especially Especially for Zoe's storyline. Yeah, like you would think that she would have something to say about all of this, but nope, guess... We just need to jump ahead a season or two and then grab Abby, time travel her back to this episode. (laughs) We're getting there. And then we're all good. We're getting there. So we go back to Zoe. She has no evidence of organ damage, but Doug wants to admit her for observation. She mentions that it's getting a little hard to breathe, and then she starts to kind of crash. Like, she's... Uh, having real hard trouble getting any oxygen and all her all the alarms are going off and everything and her boyfriend is crowding as they try to restabilize her so not very helpful just stay back a little bit small boy because these two are like 16 by the way yeah um and then carter has called the social worker for mr newton and is showing the bed sores and everything else with his examination and she is getting the case down to court asap based on the level of neglect and the hospital has claimed a temporary guardianship and the medicare funds will be transferred to the new care facility instead of to the son which the son is not too happy about Mm -hmm. He says that Carter will be hearing from his lawyers. Yeah, I can't remember if, if it was here or earlier when Carter first discovered them, but he mentions at one point one of the bed sores being down to the bone, which is I think oh. I think the very when they're first examining him. Oh. At least they How didn't does, at least they didn't show it like they do sometimes in the later. That's true. On the series. Yeah. Didn't it, How does that even happen? It's pressure sore. I mean, it's just you know the blood pools there and the the tissue dies and. And you never move. Yeah. Eventually the skin just kind of wears away and you're left with... Sloths. Yeah, just kind of sloths That's why off. when you're dealing with people who are... Immobile. Yeah. It's important to move them around. Yeah. Turn them. That's... Mm. I don't know exactly how know how that works, but... <laughs> but... My dad had to be turned when he was in the hospital. Mm. Anyway, <laughs> uh, let's go back over to Anna, Anna, whatever... Um, Anna. Carter's poor friend. You're Midwestern. It's Anna. (laughs) Anna. Anna. Um, Anna gonna be here anymore in a few episodes. Maria Bello is examining a woman who says it feels like there's something in her eye. And what? I'm I'm done with Daniel. (laughs) Headphones are coming off. I'm done with Daniel. Uh, Maria Bello is examining a woman who feels like there's something in her eye and she and the woman is like all these extremists blowing up buildings with people inside and for every for every life you save they're taking they're for every life you save they're taking another one away in that clinic and doctors who perform abortions aren't nazis yeah that one was anna no that was the woman because anna was making the comparison to nazis no, yeah, no. i thought no, no it's... this woman we were originally were originally set up to think she's on our side right. as the pro choice oh, yeah. viewers and then she's like, all those extremists blowing up buildings with people inside. For every life you save, they're taking one away in that clinic. You know, it's like that that one poem where, you know, first the Nazis came for the Jews and then something oh, else. Oh, yeah, and yeah, then, she says that. Okay, yeah. yeah, yeah. Yes, 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 yes. I'm yeah. sorry, I just sort of blocked this woman out of my mind because she's a terrible human being. Yeah, but... oh, yeah she, she hits a little too close to home for modern. Like, it's just, yeah. there's, I feel like this woman still exists and is but arguably worse such... now. 
it's such a good reveal. Oh yeah. yeah. The way the way they're you're slowly like, oh. Oh, you're crazy. Okay. But yeah, so yeah. sorry, Lizzie. I just wanted no, to No, it's okay. The, that. the woman tries to give Anna a pamphlet on her organization and I was like, fuck no. Go away. Bye. <laughs> you're done. Go be away from me. And yeah. she has this giant poster with I'm assuming some form of an aborted fetus. Probably, or like it's meant to be that, yeah. yeah. I don't exactly search out pictures of such things, so I can't be certain. And I don't know that they would actually show that on primetime TV. Yeah. So I think it was probably just a red mush. Yeah. Yeah. To get the point across. Yeah. But Anna's, you know, reasonably disgusted by, by that, and woman's like oh it's if it's made you mad it's done its job and uh anna says the only job it's done is to encourage violence and that upsets me read her grotesque poster and then the bomber probably saw it and was incited to act yeah she's like it's people like you that make bomb that make people like him think this is okay yeah and the woman also leaves the pamphlet around and anna quickly finds it and no <laughs> then shoves it back in her face shoves it back in the woman's face take your bullshit with you ma'am Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So our lady with the stuff in her eye here, Miss Martinez, is played by actress Christine Rose, who appeared in the movie What Women Want, uh, had a recurring role on the TV series Heroes, and also appeared on the TV series Star Trek Next Generation. Uh, But we go from there, we find uh, Zoe has a clot in her leg that threw and deprived her brain of oxygen, so she's now in something of a coma. Uh, Doug is pretty bleak about her prospects as she likely won't come out of it because of how long her brain was deprived of oxygen, uh, but says that the baby appears to be fine uh, and, you know, provided that they can keep Zoe alive on life support, then the baby should survive as well. Uh, And we find out that the baby is a little girl. So we will circle back around to Zoe's storyline here just a little bit later. Uh, but for th- from there, we see Benton telling Lizzie that he's been suspended, much to her shock. But she doesn't get much time to absorb that as she takes in an incoming trauma. Uh, our, her previous patient and most recent, uh, most recently we'd learned she became an EMT, Allison, was crushed under some debris at the scene as they were getting people out. Uh, and I did uh, look ahead and see this is actually our last appearance of Allison as well. So mm-hmm. she does, she kind of, I get, this is going to be one when we get to the wrap up is going to be kind of an in-between case of like, she's kind of a Bob mm-hmm. in that she survives the surgery, but we never actually see her get back to work. So half in, half I would out. wonder if she's kind of a vegetable after the events of this episode. Yeah. They don't really make that clear. I mean, she's still talking and stuff and alert here. So I, I don't know. Uh, but another gentleman comes in having lost a ton of blood at the scene and, um, as Peter is trying to walk out the door, uh, Mark stops him and is like, Hey, we need you on this one. And he's like, sorry, dude, I've been suspended. Got to go. And he's like, not by me. You haven't get your ass in here, which I love. So good. I love that from Mark where he's like, I don't give a shit what's going on up in the surgical floor down here. We need your help. So, Uh, and then we get from us. And then after that, we go right into the trauma room and Ben and Mark are running in there. Uh, We got a pumper. (laughs) And there's a goof. Yes, there's one of the more egregious continuity goofs I think I've ever seen. We go from one second to the next after they say they got a pumper. Benton's neck goes from covered in blood at 2306 to spotless just one second later at 2307. You told us to look out for this, and I forgot to, and I'm so mad. Uh, well. It's. I mean, it's. it goes from literally like one frame to the next. They must have used a different take because it goes from one frame to the next. He's covered in blood on this side of his neck. 
and then in the very next frame it's like spotless Benton looks like he just came out of the barbershop and to be fair Daniel told us on Monday we watched the episode on Thursday can you remember anything that happened on Monday because I sure as fuck can't yeah that's that's completely fair I don't have any brain power left it's gonna be a miracle if we get through this recording exactly but you think he's this guy's the bomber oh that was my joke was that just like this this random like they said all the people had been taken out and that everybody was fine. And then all of a sudden we get this dude with massive lacerations who comes in. And in my mind, just like I was convinced that what's-his-face <laughs> was the old lady murderer, right. I was convinced that this guy was going to be the bomber. And that's what they were setting this up for. Because he's, like, covered in all these lacerations. So maybe, like, shrapnel hit him when he was setting it off. Who knows? But I was, like, I was waiting for that ER twist. Yeah. Didn't come. Well, we will yeah, we will not get it this episode. Ben, however, has stuck his finger in the wound to stop the worst of the bleeding because they couldn't get a clamp in there. And he's riding the gurney as they take him up to the OR, and Kaysen is very offended to see him doing such I, things. I think he's just more taken aback than outrightly like upset by it. I, I, like, I, love, I love how he's like, you're suspended, and Ben's like, I can't really do much about that right now. See, in my mind, Kaysen is like the the grand wizard of the Ku Klux Klan. Oh, okay. With how he acts around black people sometimes, so like... Okay. <laughs> I like his take, though, when Green is like, yeah, well, he's right now he's got his finger in this guy's aorta, so you're going to have to like talk about this later. And Kaysen kind of takes a little beat and then is like, carry on. <laughs> yep. Okay, maybe not that far, but I'm pretty sure Caden's racist. So. He, fortunately, he's not That's... important enough of a character for us to ever really dig exactly. into that. So. I just love when they have people ride the patient's up to like rooms like when traumas are mm-hmm. this bad they're like hold on we gotta go on a gurney ride let's go yeah. we don't tear the man's aorta we yeah <laughs> um but then we go to lizzie and romano are working on allison she has some broken ribs and she's just an absolute mess so they're gonna get her looked after and taken care of anna comes in to check on brianna because she has finally woken up and brianna is very emotional and distraught she just wants to get out and leave her boyfriend has brought her a change of clothes so she's just like i'm done like this has been a long enough day i want to go home get me out of here and then mr newton has woken up and he's so sweet and a little disoriented and he's tired asks for his son carter says burke is no longer the guardian and that he's like i guess i am for right now until we find you another placement and he just goes but i have a home I, I almost, this is where I almost lost. It was this scene right here. This is where I was like, I am not going to be able to get through this. Um, and he goes, I'm 86 years old. I've slept in the same bed for 70 years. I want to die in my own bed. Two things about that statement. <laughs> One, it's an admirable goal. Okay. Everyone should be allowed to die on their yes. own terms. And if okay. this man wants to die at home, he should be allowed to. Okay. Two, having the same bed for seven, for 70 years seems very unsanitary. Yes. And horrible for your back. Okay. And also, too, it implies that he's been sleeping in the same bed since he was 16. And, like, yeah. I would probably... I know what I'd, happens in 16-year-old Right, beds. I'd want to upgrade a little bit <laughs> beyond my 16-year-old bed. I, I think you're taking this a little literally. I... I meant... I that's the tagline for like, our podcast, by the way. <laughs> I think you're taking this fair. a little literally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I took it more as, like, he had been in that home for... Sure. 70 years or, or it was like, the same bed you know, frame perhaps and he right, changed out the right. mattress top see that's a reasonable take i'm here to <laughs> hyper analyze every literal thing that's said on this show 
Yes. And so. to point out racists. All right. <laughs> oh, boy. Cool. But you know who's not racist? Benton. Uh, he's uh, him, Mark, and the ER gang are up in the uh, OR trying to get the guy stable. Ben still has his hand shoved in there because they don't can't really get in there with any tools quite yet. Uh, and hey, Shirley. Uh, everyone's got a gown and mask up as they work, and Morgan Stern comes up and asks what the hell's going on. Uh, they get they get the gentleman clamped and Benton off the patient so Morgan Stern can take over. I love how Shirley's like, we have to get gowns and masks for everybody. <laughs> yeah, like, ben, Shirley is freaking the fuck out. She's like, this is not sanitary in my OR. Ugh. I mean, to be fair, she's right. She, yeah, yeah, she's got a point. We go from there back down to Zoe, where her boyfriend is watching her sleep as her parents come in. Uh, and her, particularly her father here is one to watch for me. He is one of my absolute all time favorite. Oh, Hey, it's that guys. Like, I think this guy, he, this guy is who I think of when I think of, Oh, Hey, it's that guy as a concept. Can, can he be episode two of you may remember me from I, when we ever finally record that I show? I love this man so much. So the, the dad here, Miles Kearney, uh, played by actor Art Lafleur which is just an A-tier name, by the way. Love that name. Chef Kiss of a name. But he has a Art 169 <laughs> credits to his name, appearing in movies like The Sandlot, Cobra, The Blob, and Field of Dreams, among many, many others. Absolutely love this. Adore this man. He is always a good time when he shows up. Um, but he's real intense here and is real rough on the, the boyfriend here, saying, you know, you killed my daughter. I hope you're proud of yourself. Yeah, this dude is intense. He is very he's intense. Bit, he's a bit much. My childhood thing for him for this was Man of the House okay. with Chevy Chase. That's that's where I... And he's also the Tooth Fairy in the Santa Claus, too, which is just hysterical. I just love him so much. Yeah, he's the epitome of an oh, hey, it's that guy, because he was never the star of anything, but he no. always popped up in things and was generally, I would say, always a memorable part of the things he popped up in. He... He is great in Field of Dreams. Oh, he's excellent in Field of Dreams. He's probably the, uh, you know, other than Ray Liotta, like he's probably the best of the dead ball players in Field of Dreams. Yeah. And I like him in The Sandlot, too. Like he's very, very memorable part of The Sandlot, too. He has one of the most iconic lines of that whole movie. So, Lizzie, do I still have to make you watch Field of Dreams? Yes, I still have never seen it. Oh, that's a good Field of Dreams is a good one. See, even even Daniel likes the baseball dad movie. Well, of course Daniel likes the baseball okay, dad movie. Yeah, He's a baseball realized, fan. Yeah, I realized that as I was saying it. But, <laughs> be, uh, that's like, if, that's if, like no, saying if, the junkie likes heroin. Like, it's, it's come on. Like, it's a baseball dad movie. Of yeah. course I like If Now, if Jake was the one who said to say, oh, hey, Field of Dreams is an excellent movie, then I'd I be surprised. I can't remember but... if I've ever made Jake sit down and watch Field of Dreams. I feel like I tried for a very long time, and it, I may have. But if I did, it didn't make any sort of impact on him. Like, if I did finally get him to sit down in front of it, he was just sort of like, okay, great. I... It was one of the few VHSs that my dad owned at his house, mm. so we would watch. So I would just watch it like every couple weekends there when I was younger. And so it's just it's a movie A because it's just such a quintessential dad uh-huh. movie, and B, um, just from having it at his house, it's just it's one of the movies that I associate with my dad more than anything. So like, it, and I've come to appreciate it more as an actual. Movie oh yeah, over no, the years it a hundred percent stands up on its own as an adult for me but as a kid it was very much the dad movie it was the movie that my dad would sneak off to my parents bedroom to go watch on their tv because, so that he could cry and not be exposed Aww. like you know he would, like he'd come out of you know the bedroom after watching field of dreams and just you know you'd see him just doing the like you know sniffling thing like 
They're going to take the farm, Ray. Yeah, like it's it, it's it's such a good movie. You have to watch that. Daniel, I'm sorry. We've taken a five-minute tangent for Field of Dreams, and you actually are on a tight time, so let's keep Fine. going. It's it's Field of Dreams. Watch it, Lizzie. Uh, but we, we go back to the OR where Lizzie is trying to get Allison back. She's crashing, and they're having, they're having issues getting her back. This is where we think that Allison maybe might not be quite okay after this episode. We're not 100% sure. Um, but we go out of there. We see uh, Brianna thanking Carrie for taking good care of her. Uh, Carrie tries to give her some information on birth control pills and other forms of contraception besides abortion. And she says that her boyfriend doesn't like that stuff. Those pills make me fat. Yikes. Sounds like you need to throw the whole man away. Just throw the whole man out. This isn't a problem with abortion. This is a problem with your man. You got a shitty boyfriend, lady. And a little bit her attitude towards... And we abort the boyfriend. The whole thing. Too late for that? Not... No. Not not great, but we then go over to Doug, is walking Zoe's parents and boyfriend through her options. Sorry, I just I just thought of the South Park episode where Eric's mom is trying to get him aborted. <laughs> it's a thirty second. A, your your son is what we call Nicole in the thirty second trimester. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's just like. Sorry, sorry. That's horrible. What's going on with Zoe, Lauren? Uh, so Doug is walking Zoe's parents and boyfriend through their options. Um, they can either do a C-section and the baby lives on full support in an incubator and hopefully stabilizes in the NICU over a few months. Or they keep Zoe alive on life support and they use her as a human incubator. And the latter allows a better chance of survival for the baby, but yikes. Right. Nobody is happy with any of these options. How many hot button issues can we cram into one single episode? Like we've we've yeah. now added like right to die as part of the the flavor of the week here. It's like oh, okay, all right, we're we're doing all we just yep. get them all out of the way at once. Rip the bandaid off. Yep. And then there's an older woman who was at the clinic. We saw her a little bit earlier in the episode, but now Carol is finally. Um, getting to sit down and take care of her arm where she had a minor laceration on it. And it turns out that, um, you know, Carol asks for her insurance card and she's like, oh, I can just pay you in cash because I don't want this to go on my insurance. I don't want, you know, my husband can't know I was here. And it turns out she was seeking an abortion because she got pregnant, not realizing that she still could get pregnant. She thought she was old enough that it wasn't a problem. And she's like, you know, oh, I feel so stupid and... You know, what would I tell him? But we just, we just can't. Like, we're at a stage in our lives where it just, it just doesn't make sense to have another baby. Like, he finally retired. I'm not about to do this. And it's just, it's very, very sweet. And, like, Carol's like, well, why don't you tell him the way you just told me? And it's in a very sweet way. And the woman thanks her and is like, oh, you know, I can leave a driver's uh, license as collateral until I can bring my insurance card in tomorrow. And Carol says, nope, just bring it in tomorrow. You're fine. We'll make a note of it, like, go, relax, be with your family. You've just been through a very trying experience. <laughs> go home. So just it's it's another really good example in this episode where they're not making it all about the extreme one way or the other, but they're also using it as a great opportunity to highlight this very real slice of life. Yeah. Of like, it's not just 16-year-old girls who get pregnant and need an abortion. Sometimes mistakes happen even with the most sensible of mm-hmm. us 
it's a it's a very and, i think it's a very um creative and nuanced way to approach the abortion issue as a television show because it would feel a little bit contrived if they just found a way to just do an abortion episode as just a standard right. patient but having it be right. a clinic getting bombed and right. treating all these victims individually for all their various reasons that they were going to the clinic in the first place it's a really right. like nuanced way to approach the issue and and lay out oh. all those different aspects and that's something else I want to point out, because I don't know if we touched on this. Zoe and her boyfriend are 16 years old. They were not in there to get an abortion. They were there to do the responsible mm-hmm. thing and get prenatal care for the baby. Yep, good. Well, okay, and I'm not saying I'm not saying abortion is irresponsible, but I'm saying within their choice that they made, they were choosing to get care instead of just being like, oh, we'll be fine. We'll just let the baby be mm-hmm. born. I wanted to clarify, because that made it sound like I said no, yeah. abortions I, I, were irresponsible. Well, for our listeners, I for sure. just wanted to cover my ass like Morganstern. Uh anyway, let's go back up to the surgical floor with Ben and Corday. Allison made it. Yay. And she's wheeled away, never to be seen again. Boo. And with how long she was down, you have to think that she was her brain was deprived of oxygen for quite a while. Hey, that's, you know. That's what made me that's what made me impl- infer the vegetable comment from earlier. Just like uh what's her what's her face from season 2? What was the the lady, the uh the sex worker? with little Anakin Skywalker. Oh. Like, I, I was like, all the evidence points to she died. And Lauren was like, no, fuck you. She lived. In my head, she lived. My head canon is <laughs> she's fine. She lived. She's great. Loretta. Loretta yeah. Yeah, right? Loretta. Yes. 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 So yes, yes. Allison is the Loretta of season four where it's like, nope, fuck you. Head canon is she lived. And she's fine. Yeah. Um, she's fine. She's great. Yeah. And Corday is like, you can put them back together, but you can't keep them that way. And it's just a nice, sweet little moment of her leaning on Peter for support won't be the last time mm-hmm. we go from there to scott's funeral where we get another appearance of uh Antspa's other kids which how are Antspa's kids so young and his wife is also passed away like we never get a full i would like the full Antspa timeline spelled out was it was it our listener michelle who did the beautiful spreadsheet in the <laughs> yes. facebook group michelle's michelle please do please do a timeline for Anspa's children i would children. like a detailed chart of the uh, Anspa family tree with dates and uh diagnoses for mrs Anspa. like i would daniel this seems like a very you thing <laughs> i know to do but I, well. see it does seem like something that only i would do and yet there's a, apparently another one of me in the facebook yeah. group who's doing all the like did doing you, all the legwork for me and did you did you look at the um the spreadsheet that she made, Lizzie? No, I've barely been on it Facebook. Is, it's the most absurd I, thing you could imagine. Like, I need to show it to you when we're done. It's okay. a work of holy art. shit. Okay, but Scott's yeah, funeral. Yeah, Scott's funeral. So, uh, for the resident Green Day expert in the group, what w- what were your thoughts on Jeannie's freestyle of good riddance? You know, she actually, to my knowledge, only got one word wrong. Really? So it must just be a. It must just yeah. be not the the verse that everyone always sings from it because yeah. as i was listening to it i was like this doesn't sound right yeah no because she, she says i'm trying to think of uh, another turning point of fork stuck in the road time grabs you by the wrist directs you where to go so make the best of this test and don't ask no that's not the one she sings what's the one she sings i don't know it, it's, I, it, i'm but either way she does because i was listening to it and i know this song far too well because <laughs> nimrod is my favorite green day album not for that song, but just Nimrod is my favorite right. Green Day album. And I was just, as as she was singing it, I was listening to it in my head. And there was only one word that I was like, that's glaringly not mm-hmm. right. 
everything else was mostly like fine and again Gloria Rubin's a beautiful singer oh, yeah. it could have been done much worse I did cringe a little though that I was like are they really doing it they're it's a little they're going it's a for little it. on the nose just a I tad. I love how she's like she was like I was gonna sing a hymn but then I thought this might be more appropriate. <laughs> this was Scott's favorite song. But then Green, Green Day. Day. I was going to sing a hymn, but then Green Day's record company paid us a shitload of money to play this song. <laughs> we paid a shit. No, we paid a shitload of licensing yeah. fees. To you pay think so? You think it was that direction? That I think. Hey. Oh, I, I feel like oh. it could have been the other way around. I feel like Green Day would have nope. approached the number one song mm, on television nope. to or nope. number one nope. show. Daniel, I've. I went to college for this. They definitely paid licensing fees for such a hot single at that time. They would have. They would have paid the. Yeah, royal, you're they, a, right. they would have had to pay. Ro- they would have had to pay royalties and stuff anyway. Sure. To use it. B, I'm, I'm gonna choose to believe that Billy Joe Armstrong is just a huge ER fan. <laughs> that would be one of those. You things don't think it, that we would just find out about? You don't. You don't think it would be secretly Trey or Jason White? You think it would be? I Billy? mean, I feel like because Bill, Billy Joe, because this is sort of like his song. It's, yeah. like we, it's like when we—it's like when we found out it's only him in the interview. It's, it's only him pl- recently that that the only reason Long Way Around happened was because Ewan McGregor was a huge ER fan. So like, yeah, it could it could definitely be the case. Like, because yeah. isn't does he, does he play the guitar in there or is that Jason White? It's I think it's Billy because this was this was when Jason White was more doing guitar as their touring. Gotcha. But okay. he doesn't he doesn't end up on the studio albums until Uno Dos Tre. Okay. Really that that long. I think he might do like some sit-ins for American Idiot, but yeah, most of the most of the guitar work on the prior albums is done by Billy Joe. Huh. I know too much about Green Day. This was my entire teenage years. Jason White, the secret fourth member of Green Day. Not so secret anymore. He's That's actually true. credited on the albums. But okay, we have a half hour left. We have to get Daniel out of here. Let's go. Yes. So we then see uh, Lizzie trying to leave for the day, going down in the elevator. Uh, Romano stops her and apologizes for how he spoke to her during Allison's surgery and asks her out for a drink, which she turns nope. down for. Nope. Don't like that, Bob. Nope. Nope. <laughs> uh, and he says, quite desperately, if you change your mind, you have my home number. As he's, like, leaning into the elevator to, like, hold uh-huh. the door and say it, it's like, my dude, just stop. Just take the yeah. L. Uh, Carrie and Morgan Stern have a little chat upstairs. David? I forgot what this place was all about. The teamwork. The well-oiled machine. What? I've let the situation get completely out of hand. I told myself the Pharisees were too friable, that my field was obscured, that I, I, I was protecting Dr. Swanson's dignity. I wasn't. I was covering my own ass. Look, if you make a mistake, that's all that it is. No. No. It's more than that. What are you watching? Ha-ha. <laughs> What am I not watching? That's the question. This is the tape of Swanson's laparoscopy. Where did you get it? I I took it right after the surgery. I've been too chicken to look at it. I guess I thought we could avoid a confrontation. A resident can take a note in his file, right? Peter's got so much less to lose than... I could toss this right now. No one would be the wiser. You wouldn't have called me up here if that's what you're going to do. Morgan Stern, you slimy <laughs> bastard. I do want to point out this is a great illustration of the lies we tell ourselves to spare ourselves from 
just shitty feelings. Morgan Stern. I also want to note, because Daniel, you just watched Mystery Men last (laughs) night, and I started watching Mystery Men last night. It's amazing to me, considering this was recorded probably, like, within a year of Mystery Men. Oh, yeah. He looks... he looks younger in Mystery Men to me than he does mm-hmm. here. Yeah, he really does. It's because I, I, I can't remember where in 99 Mystery Men falls, but um, he, this is um, early to mid 98. So I have to imagine he probably goes off to film Mystery Men probably over the summer, I would guess. Either over if he's not already started, if he hasn't already on started it. on it, exactly. So like, we're pretty close timeline wise for that to be a concurrent thing. And you're right, he does look noticeably different in Mystery Men to here. So yeah, it's interesting. Also, yep, we finally made it come true after talking about watching it for weeks. <laughs> we finally did it, and, and it holds up just as well, if not better I was than say, we remember. If anything, I think I might have improved my opinion on it after so many years. I I adore every part of that movie now. Anyway, let's uh, shift the tone to to sadder. Um, let's wrap up the uh, Aunt Spa Genie Scott storyline. I think this is the this is the the end more of or less. It. Yeah, this is it. Yeah. Uh, well, Aunt Spa and Genie are talking in a church. Genie, I wondered where you'd gotten to. I'm just sitting in here. It's very peaceful. Yes. It is. When uh, Scotty was going through the worst of it, I went into his room, found his journal. I know I shouldn't have looked at it, but I wanted to understand him. The way you and his mother seemed to. He loved you very much. He said, Jeannie just gets it. I don't have to explain anything to her because she already knows. It's very sweet. I remember when he told me about what he wanted to be when he grew up. Some kind of rock and roll star, probably. He wanted to join the army. He did? Mm. twist that knife in there at the end like your son wanted to follow in your footsteps but you had no idea about it because you had no relationship with him whatsoever great i feel that i feel bad for Jeannie. but how great that she had one storyline that was not just completely dependent on her hiv status i know yeah, right? they made, yeah really did they did they made they made it the entire way through like Anspa brings it up that one time where he's like, maybe you should talk to him about this. And then she's like, Hmm, yeah, I'll take that under consideration. And then never does. And yep. we managed to get this nice self-contained storyline with her that has nothing to do with her HIV status. It's great. Um, but then speaking of sadness, Zoe's parents are watching over her in her room while Donnie, her boyfriend watches out in the hall and Doug has paged an OB doctor to discuss options. that should have been Coburn and they're going to wait until the baby is further along, meaning they are going to keep Zoe alive, and they are also suing for sole custody of the baby over Donnie. This is where we need to have uh, Jake Terrell Esquire (laughs) on the show to talk about how this would go. Um, And the mom says, we let Donnie into our lives once, and he took our daughter away. Because I guess when they started dating, um, she left home 
when she got pregnant and everything because she was miserable with her parents, which is just an alluded to through line for their relationship. Um, and then more sadness. Mr. Newton is crying and wanting to go home. And Carter is trying to rescind the social work order, realizing that he maybe made a mistake and, you know, he should have, if possible, checked with the patient first, but couldn't because the guy was so dehydrated that he couldn't communicate his wants or needs. Um, and the social worker won't let him because it's not that simple based off the excess of neglect that was shown. And um, Mr. Newton is wheeled away, screaming and crying for Carter to fix it. Mm. Just twist yeah. the knife. It's just nobody wins in this episode. I know, right? And that's a very difficult, like very complicated story there too. I mean, like where yeah. do you, where do you fall on that at the end? Like, should because clearly there was signs of neglect, and also too, just from the brief interactions we get with the son, the son doesn't seem to me to be on the up and up. Like the son doesn't seem to just no. be trying to do his best and is overwhelmed. The son actually seems shitty, no. but. Like he's using the Medicare. Yeah, funds. like the 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 old man here, Mr. Newton. Like it seems to me like a little bit of like Stockholm syndrome, where like he's yeah. he's mm-hmm. just sort of dependent. He he ha- doesn't know any differently, and Carter seems to that's pulling out some heartstrings for. Car- I don't know. Like I don't know where I fall on this. It's it's hard because it's like how much of it is the free will of a person to make that choice, mm-hmm. but how much of that free will is invalidated once you get past a certain age and level of faculty and that's just that's that's just a whole issue with ageism in a, in and of itself and how we take care of the elderly yeah. which is a whole other like lounge episode i can't even get into that here but it's really well done in the sense that there is no clear answer mm-hmm. for this one like you know you're supposed to say the guy needs to go to a home right but the but that emotional heartstring is yeah. so like you said no winners oh i was that's, just i was just saying that's my that's in. my summation of it um, let's go back down. To, let's go back over to uh, Anna and Carrie talking about what happened earlier. Okay. Uh, Carrie, Anna, uh, what happened today? It really threw me, and uh, it's been on my mind. I wanted to talk to you about it. Same here. I I should have explained myself better in, instead of flying off the handle. Oh, you were right. No, just let me explain. I did some overseas work in Africa where abortion is illegal, and I I saw 15-year-old girls in septic shock from botched procedures, and there was nothing we could do. I've made it a priority to be the best doctor I can be and to support all my patients' choices. If you had asked me when I got up this morning, I uh, I would have said the same thing. But in this case, she was so far along. And And what if another Brianna Thomas comes through those doors? I'd love to be able to tell you that if this same case came in tomorrow, I'd be able to do the procedure without a second thought, but I don't know. Are we sure it was 18 weeks and it wasn't 28 weeks or something? Like... No, but the woman was 28 years old. 28 years old and and 18 weeks. Yeah. Because she says, like, she was so far along. It wasn't that far along. Like... Yeah, I remember because Lauren and I, because we specifically went back to right. make sure we had that right. Because I was, because I was like bombarded with those three things all at once. So I was like, "Shit, okay, what were the numbers? Let me." Yeah. Also, Carrie says Anna. Yeah. What the hell, Carrie? Pick <laughs> Nobody a lane. knows what, what her fucking name is. <sighs> I was gonna say, but does this really play into anything more? No. In no. the last three episodes that we they, have and that's my thing Anna. too. Like they have to. This is yet another episode that has gone by now where we haven't really touched on Carter and Delamico 
at all. So that's another episode down. We got three episodes left before she's gone forever. So there really must be just a blink and you miss it kind of love affair between those two. And yeah, because I kind of sworn the Anna's whole thing that leads to her departure takes place much longer over the season. But we got I guess three episodes not. left with her. And yeah, like they and I, I feel like they have to know at this point with three episodes left. I feel like they have to know she's not coming back. They have to know that that this has not worked out and that nobody's happy and we're just going to we're just going to cut our losses on this at the end of the season. So I don't know what they're doing with her here at this point. I think they're just throwing shit at the wall and seeing what sticks. Like let's just empty the empty the clip here. Let's just throw all of the storyline at the wall at once and see what happens with it. I guess. Cuz I mean, yeah, it just it she's it's striking to me how much her character is twisting in the wind here as we get towards the end of the season. Like they're clearly trying to feature her more, but it almost just seems like it's because they're trying to just get however many years of storyline development there could have been with her as a long-term character out in one month. Like, let's just get it all out of the way now. I did like the little bit of continuity where uh, Carrie says she did some overseas work in Africa when early on in her time on the show, we met her African boyfriend, uh, whose yep. name I'm not going to try to pronounce, but we see him one and only the one and only time, and then it's never really addressed again, other than here, where she says she did some overseas work in Africa. So, and folks, we've come to this the final the final flight of the Morgan Cern. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's listen to the final scene on ER wait, of William H wait, Macy. Wait, wait, wait. Let's listen to him set the tone for his departure. Peter, I'm glad uh, I caught you. I was on my way to your apartment. Listen, uh, I'm sorry about that surgery, but I already had my hand no, in No, 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 no. You, you, you did the right thing. You were thinking on your feet. That's not what I wanted to talk to you about. I wanted to let you know that one of my last two acts as chief of surgery is to rescind your suspension. What do you mean? That's Swanson's laparoscopy in full living color. The mistake wasn't yours. I cut the gastric artery. My last act as chief will be to resign. Uh, Dr. Morgan, sorry, it was just one incident. No. When I saw you in that trauma today, the passion that you exhibited, it's been years since I felt that. It might have had something to do with my heart attack, the pressure of feeling that I just don't belong here anymore. What do you mean? You're a great surgeon. You taught me everything I know. I was a great surgeon. But what happened, what I allowed to happen, it just proves that I'm not a very great man. That's what I got to work on. Smell that? What's that? Smell of spring. All green and full of possibility. So, yay, Morgan Stern. Yep. And I know we're, we're going to go into this more on our characters we said goodbye to segment of our uh, of the season four recap. But I would just like to take this opportunity to say for all the listeners out there, I think that Morgan Stern is one of the biggest missed opportunities in the show's history. I think. He could have done so much more than he did, especially in especially last season where he was basically non-existent. Yeah. And I just think 
I just think they with some with the world class talent like William H Macy, you could have done a lot more with it. Yeah, no, I think that's very reasonable take. I mean, he he feels sort of like you said like a missed opportunity. Like you have a William, especially looking back on it in hindsight, like you have a William H Macy mm-hmm. sitting right there, and you kind of just yeah. don't do a whole lot with him until this very end here, and and this is arguably the most compelling his character has ever been. I would fully so, agree with that. Yeah. It's, it, which, of course, we, we should mention, too, that this is his last regular appearance. He will make one more uh, cameo appearance in, I believe, season 14, I want to say. It's either 14 or 15, but I think it's 14 um, when he makes an appearance accompanying a patient into the ER. But, but, for, but all for all intents, intents and purposes, purposes, yes, he is gone uh, as a as a character as a doctor here um and i think it's a very poignant way to to send him off like send him yeah. off on a good note another expert uh music cue in that clip there from martin like i'm a big big fan of that as as he's doing that like self-examination and talking about how he needs to work on his kind of character essentially he needs to work on himself as a person um you get that nice swelling of the music underneath. Like it just works really, really well. And it sends this character. And I, and I, I know I've said this before, but like, I love that they went to the trouble of actually giving this character a proper send off, even though he was never part of the central six, he was never part of the, like the main group. He always kind of existed on the periphery of things. I love that they felt he was important enough to warrant not just a single episode centered around him, but a full like three episode arc where we go, we bring him back, we tear him down and then we build him back up. Like, I, mm-hmm. I think that's one of the most underrated through lines of this whole season. I love it. Mm-hmm. Agreed. But we go from there. We see Carter eating ramen at the desk, not to put too fine a point on the whole Carter is poor thing. <laughs> Like, just in case you needed another reminder, we did we peanut butter and jelly at the beginning of the episode, ramen at the end. Uh, and Doug is talking to him. I believe it's Doug that says this to him, right? Mm-hmm. Carter's yeah. kind of feeling sorry for himself, and Doug tells him, better to overdo it and be wrong sometimes than to not do anything wrong at all, which is a little a little wordy, but also a nice little bit of, like, poignant yeah. advice from from Doug. And then he offers to take him out for a burger and beer. And why didn't we get that scene? I want to see Doug and Carter yeah, right? hanging out. Especially after the whole, like, miff with Harper two seasons ago. Yeah. That's true, yeah. Like, oh, yeah, which led to the gayest scene in ER history. <laughs> they're very, they're heated yeah. basketball game. Yeah, I forgot about that. And now they're apparently cool again. And I love how he's like, dump that cup of sodium and let's go get a burger and beer. Yeah. Like how cool, how nice would it have been to see them just shooting the shit, him giving advice about like, oh, the way that we could really set up like, oh, I have feelings for Anna. Oh no. Or just him trying to teach Carter how to pick up women. Yeah. Like, honestly, tell or me that something. scene isn't comedy gold. Like, tell me that there's not gold in them, their hills. Doug and Carter out in a bar. Like, I wanted that scene, but we don't get it. I'm sorry, but... We're going to wrap up this episode with uh, Corday having a glass of wine at her place with some music, and Benton shows up at her door. And Lauren has a quick note here. I love her sloppy cardigan looks. They're so good. And all good people. Good people. Just like you and me. Peter. Hey. Uh, look, I hope I'm not disturbing you. Oh, come on in. I'll turn the music down. Well, 
Let me take that. Oh, yeah. Here, look. You're soaking wet. Uh, yeah. Cheap umbrella. What possessed you to come out in these elements? Ah, uh, my day. My week, my life. Uh. <laughs> I heard about Morgan Stern. I'm really sorry. I lost my mentor today. In the hospital. They lost a great surgeon. You can, um... You can be so close to somebody. And then they're gone. And you've never even told them that you... You know how... What you... I'm sorry. I'm, I'm babbling. I'm not even making sense. No, 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 no. You are. You are. Go on. He, do he doesn't go on. <laughs> I just... absolutely love the my day, my week, my life delivery because <laughs> that's, that's such that's such a mood right now. Just it's so spot on. Yeah. With Benton, sometimes I really forget just how much Morgan Stern means to him, mm -hmm. and that that whole his little emotional beat here really adds a whole new layer to that storyline mm -hmm. of him and with him and Morgan Stern. That like but... it's not just being it's not just being jobbed over by a by you know by the chief by the chief it's being betrayed by a mentor but that's the thing is we haven't seen that interaction since like probably season two yeah, yeah. oh yeah if not season one so it's like for the casual viewer or any of them remember it I sure well see didn't. but that's my thing though i think go, going back to the first part of this three-part arc here like they they yeah. did i think do a good job of at least trying to reestablish that a little bit because you're right it has been way too long since that has been an organic part of the story um and i think it's again it's a credit to the storytelling that they were able to sort of bring all that back and it still manages to have real impact here because this to me this doesn't feel forced at all this feels like a very genuine bit of emotion from him yeah and i like too that it has sort of the duality of, of his situation with Morgan Stern where he's like, you know, the hospital loses a great surgeon and, you know, you can work so closely with somebody and never, you know, take them for granted, never give them the proper credit or, or give them the prop, like tell them what you, what they mean to you and, and what you think of them. And so that leads him to sort of leads him back to Elizabeth and you know where they're going from a so it, it has like dual purpose and from a storytelling standpoint I, I like that it, like it works really really well and again the music coming in underneath works super well it's just like there's a lot to like here and it's a very relatable sentiment too like I don't know if if either one of you felt that like there was definitely like when he's talking about working so closely with somebody but never never getting the chance or never never finding the right opportunity to tell that person how much they mean even like not even speaking about like romantically or anything but just on a professional level like like there's definitely yeah. been people yeah. that I've worked with who were in a similar type capacity to a Morgan Stern to me like people I looked up to people I saw as like a professional mentor in a way that I worked with for a long time and then you know through life stuff one or the other of us would move on and you just never got to have that kind of official conversation of like, man, you really like looking back on it, like you really meant a lot to me and you really taught me a lot of important lessons and important things. And so it, it's a very relatable sentiment for this character to have. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've had that not, not necessarily with like mentors, so to speak, but just like 
managers in my life who have treated me extremely mm-hmm. well, you know, and then, you know, being my work experience being retail, sometimes they are gone. They're here one day and gone right. the next. And I'm mm-hmm. like, God damn it. I would have liked to, to yeah. thank them. I'll yeah. never see them again. Work fam. So, yeah. yeah. So it's definitely a relatable sentiment. But the most important aspect is that Ben Day has arrived. Hooray! We get them. Thank you for cutting off the clip before we get gross kissing noises. But yeah. they definitely smash faces. And we're off to the races. I'm going to give this episode a B plus. Yeah, this definitely straddles the B plus A minus line for me. Like, this is, this is a yeah. low-key... Uh, banger for season four like this is not gonna not gonna make anybody's Mm -hmm. like top list of any like thing but i i'm such a huge fan of the way this arc has played out i think and i think like any good arc i think it it has built on itself i think the first episode was fine the second episode was like we're getting there there's definitely the, the like like it was an improvement and then this third episode i think has been the best of the three and I'm a huge, huge fan of how everything played out. It's not a perfect episode. There's definitely a few things that I think you could have done a little bit better. But there's so much to like here. And it kind of sneaks yeah. up on you. It's not an episode that anybody ever talks about being like an all-time great one. No. I did like how nuanced the whole abortion yeah. topic was interwoven throughout the whole episode. Like they didn't just like beat you over the head. Like, no, abortion's... Everyone needs abortions all the time, you know. Like, yeah. even though, like, it's clearly trying, he's clearly trying to present a little more, more of a pro-choice message. Mm-hmm. Very nuanced storytelling. Yes, but it's yeah, it's not being preachy. It's it's, it's it would be very easy for an episode about abortion to get preachy, and this episode mm-hmm. did not. Right, and I'm thankful for that. Yep. Lauren, any thoughts? You, you no, you guys both summed it up real well. Dang it. <laughs> The one thing that would keep it from being like an A tier episode for me personally is was the abrupt resolution of the Genie and Scott storyline. Yes. Yeah, but I also don't know what more. The more I've thought about it, as we've talked about it over the last hour, like the the I also don't know what more they really could have done with the story that wouldn't have felt superfluous. You know, that's fair, but I don't know. It just seems kind of. It just seemed from very yeah from a from a top to go, down to go view, from, it was I, very abrupt yeah but like if we if we treat that end of the last episode as if that's where like let's say he passes the night of or the night after once he's made his mm-hmm. peace with that fine I can live with that headcanon and then the, and then the funeral happens but other than that it just it feels so jarring like it almost feels like it should have been him passing in that last when he scene, crashes last episode yeah, yeah like I would have yeah. I, I think. I think you're right. I think I would have had him have that conversation with Jeannie about not wanting to do the chemo anymore right? and then crash and then either that or I think there like you could have done it in this very like very sad, very abrupt kind of way of of have him crash before she gets to have that conversation with him about whether or not it's what he really wants, you know, and leave that kind of more Mm -hmm. open ended. I think that would have been a, a possibility of a way to go too. um, but yeah or or have her like not her find him but someone find him the beginning of this episode and have that be why Antoine's out like I'm just saying like there's there's some ways where it wouldn't be the more I think about it though the more I feel like it was a conscious choice on their part to spare the audience of having to see a child Mm -hmm. in his situation that's that's actually die Die, I think it was a respectful choice on their part of just being like, we're just going to have him quietly die off screen and then deal with the fallout emotionally because that, I mean, yes, it's not like a gory thing or anything, but it is, that's a heavy, a heavy thing to, to put on an audience 
it's hard for a lot yeah, of people. Yeah, so I, I feel like that was maybe a conscious choice on their part to just say, like, hey, we know this is going to happen. It's inevitable. Maybe let's just do it in the most gentle, respectful way possible. So, Lauren, what did our listener have to say? Lydia M. says, OMG, I cry like a baby when Jeannie sings every damn time. And I was never a fan of Anna, but not performing the abortion sealed it for me. Yeah, that woman was awful, but it's irrelevant. Much like a lot of things, Anna. It's irrelevant. It's irrelevant. <laughs> oh, man. I, I hate that our first, like, main cast departure for real, because Sherry Stringfield doesn't count because she's coming back. So, like, our first... Coming back strong. Yeah, our, our first real main cast departure that we're going to do a, a bonus wrap-up episode about Anna Delamico, the character, all about her. I hate that the first one has to be about Delamico because she's such a, like, wet yeah. fart of a character. I'm just like, well, that happened. Yeah, well, save it for the episode, but that's going to wrap up our episode for today. Thank you all very much for listening. The show is brought to you in part by our patrons over at patreon.com slash podcast. For only a dollar a month, you can get access to our show notes each week. And for only $5 a month, you can get a free sticker featuring our favorite desk clerk, Cherry, two-week early access to all of our cast and crew interviews, and over a dozen hours of bonus audio and video content, including the full season recap episodes, season five coming soon, a bonus show called The Lounge, where season, season four, four coming soon, season four coming soon, a bonus show called The Lounge, where we talk about whatever's going on for us in our lives and the world at that moment. Movie Reviews, where we talk about a movie featuring an ER cast member. And Flash Forwards, where we do a commentary track for future ER episodes. We would also appreciate it if you would follow us on our social media accounts. We are at Set the Tone ER on Twitter. We are on Facebook at facebook.com slash the Tone Podcast. And we are at Setting the Tone Podcast on Instagram. Also, be sure to check out the official Setting the Tone community on Facebook. Our theme music is provided to us by Andrew M. Edwards and Daniel. Where can folks find you at? They can find me on Instagram at dan.u, that is y-o-u dot e-l. They can also find me on my other podcast, The Popular Court, with my co-host Jake Terrell, where we do a different pop culture topic each episode and put it through a little mock trial. And Lauren, where can folks find you at? Folks can find me on my personal Twitter, um, tweeting lots of links to organizational goodies for the move because I'm nesting. At Lobob92345. She really is, folks. You can also find me on Twitter. I am at RandomGamer. That's J-A-M-3-R. As well as on the Popular Quartz YouTube channel, doing a Let's Play of Mass Effect Legendary Edition. New episodes of that are out every Friday, and you can find those videos and much, much more at YouTube.com slash The Popular Court. Thanks again, everyone, very much for listening. Please join us again next time, and have a great week. Bye.